Okay. All right. So, um, open up your Bibles to Revelation. Revelation three. Revelation three. Revelation chapter three. Okay. Okay, so, so uh, this week we're going to be talking about the third characteristic that thou art lukewarm. So give me a bit of review of what you remember so far from the past few weeks of Laodicea leading into this one. Yeah. Yes, we think we're okay and we're not. Our church age is filled with self-deceit, and this one is going to really highlight a lot of that. There's one example that I want to give that I want to show you guys. Uh, we're going to be picking on Hillsong a little bit tonight. Um, even though I like their music, um, some of their music is way off doctrinally, and it's because the church is off doctrinally. But they are, I'm going to pick on them because they're massive. Um, they make a ton of money. Uh, people look up to them on the music front, um, and they're in the limelight a lot. So because they're in the limelight, we're going to pick on them. Um, and if we were in the limelight a lot, then we would get picked on a lot as well. So that's kind of how it works. So we're going to use them tonight as an example. But give me a, give me a little bit of review on why are we picking this out with with uh, Laodicea? Where do we hit, or where do we uh, where are we at within the timeline? How do we know all that stuff? Yep, we're in the seventy week prophecy, and we are currently in the midst of a. Parenthesis, a parenthesis, if you want to call it that way, just to mispronounce it. A parenthesis period, where it's called the church age. Do you want to call it that? No. You should. It'll help you. I'm kidding. Don't worry about it. You're more spiritual if you mispronounce things. No, just kidding. <laughs> so we're in a parenthesis period uh, between the 69th and the 70th week of uh, 70th week of Daniel's 70-week prophecy. And then within Revelation 2 and 3, we have church history. How many periods? Seven. Seven periods of church history starting around 90 AD, leading up until today. And we are in the last, which is the church of Laodicea, the church age we're in that began around approximately when? 1900-ish, yes. A lot of it correlates with the, the release of the Revised Standard Version Bible, uh, which happened in 1881, uh, but the seeds were sown prior to that. So, uh, and then things just went nuts after that. Yeah, okay. So, any questions, any more thoughts on that? Yes. Okay, so like if you have like all the church periods, are they all like the same amount of time? No, they are not. Oh, no, fine. they are not. Okay. Yeah, but what you do is, so if you read through Revelation 2 and 3 and then you compare the events in there with the events of history, you'll find out there's not an exact cutoff um, as to, you know, like they woke up one day and the alarm went off and be like, okay, now it's Sardis. Like they didn't, you know, there's not a clear cutoff. Um, but it's more around the events uh, and how it reads in scripture and you kind of compare the two. So, yeah. All right. Okay. Good deal. All right. Any other thoughts? Any other questions? All right. Okay. All right. Good deal. Okay. So, uh, in revelation three, uh, we, we read this already, but we'll read this part again. So in verse 14, it starts the beginning of that church to Laodicea. And it says, Under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm 
and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Okay, so, so far, we have gone through what the, the term Laodicea means, which means what? Civil rights, or the rights of the people, or my personal rights. And we talked about verse 14, that Jesus, when he opens up this letter, he calls himself the Amen, which is another word for truth. He is the truth, the verified truth. He is the faithful and true witness, and we correlated that last week to what is our source of absolute truth? The Bible. Because it is the faithful and true witness, and he is called the word of God. And then thirdly, he is the beginning of the creation of God. And so we talked about how there, um, this is the only time in church history where he addresses himself as the beginning of the creation of God or the creator himself. And how during our time, you know, really the the theory of, of evolution, elements of it have been alive for a long time, but it really did not come together as a popular theory until the Laodicean church period. And it is, it is one thing that is, is a constant assault upon the church and upon Christianity, upon the Bible, like crazy. And you guys have even witnessed that this past week, even at Northwest, right? Especially Jack. All right. So, no, I'm just kidding. No, good job. You guys did a great job. I love the fact that you guys stand for the truth and you're not afraid to ask these questions. I really do. It's very encouraging. It really is. So we worked our way through that, and we talked about our first characteristic of my personal rights, and then we talked about how we struggle with absolute truth, according to verse 14, um, and the source of absolute truth in this, in this church age. And as Christians, in verse 15 and 16, we struggle with we are lukewarm. So this one is a hot topic, and um, it's something that is very applicable to us, and so I want to take the time to work through this. So if you have any questions as we go through, please ask. Please ask. All right, so let's hit this. After the Lord, Jesus Christ introduces himself very specifically as the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He goes right in and calls them out on their sinful behavior. And he says in verse 15, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So based on these verses, we tend to be self-deceived about our work in three specific areas. And I'm going to call us out with this, but I want to use some other examples. So we're going to work through this, and when um, when I when it comes to the applicable point, I want to hit um, some of those videos that I mentioned um, about with uh, – come on, there we go. There we go, and there's our examples. Okay. So I want to hit those examples um, so that way we can actually see that and see some of those examples. So, But based on this verse, because I spent some time looking at this verse while I was gone um, this past week. We, we went and did our pastor's planning for the year as a church. And as I was sitting down and looking at, at these verses, what I thought was really interesting is that the first thing that he says here is he says, I know thy works, but thou art neither cold nor hot. So the first thing that we're deceived on when it comes to Christians and Christianity is the true state of our works. That's our first point that we need to talk about, that we are self-deceived on the true state of our works. So let's look at some of these verses. So I'm going to go to Titus 1.16. 
Go ahead, Jack, you got that one. And then everybody else go to 2 Timothy 3, and then I need someone for Isaiah 29, 13. Kent, you got that one. So everyone else go to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. So we tend to be very deceived about our own works, the true state of our works, because Jesus said, I know thy works. I know them, which means that we don't. He knows them, and, the, the, and thou art neither cold nor hot. And I would that thou were cold or hot. So there's something wrong with us here that we need to talk about. So listen to Titus 1.16. I profess that they know God, but in works they deny Reprobate. Yeah. All right. So I love that verse. It says they profess, they know God, but in works they deny him. There are so many Christians out there that do this. They say they love God, but they don't obey him. That's ridiculous. Like how can you love someone and then never show it? A lot of Christians are used to saying, I love you, God. But when you turn around and honestly observe their behavior, they love themselves. They don't love God. Because when you love someone, you sacrifice self for that person. That's what you do. And so if you truly love God, you will be doing the things that please him. And that will come at the expense of yourself. That means that you choose not to do the things that you want to do and you choose the things that God wants you to do. And as a Christian, this is like basic. Like this is, this is about as basic as it gets. This is what makes lost people and saved people different is that saved people love God and they obey him. They don't act like lost people still. They just don't. But yet in our day and age, it is wildly accepted for Christians to be selfish, (coughs) self-centered, self-serving. And it's not right. We shouldn't be that way. And I always have to be on guard with myself too. I have to guard my time. I have to guard my attention. I have to, I have to guard the desires of my heart. I have to guard all that stuff and say, am I truly serving God or am I serving self? And more often than not in my own life, even I'm serving myself and I justify in my mind, well, I'm, I'm doing this or, well, I'm not spending all my time for myself. I am giving God this over here. It's never been that way in church history. It's never been that way in church history. In church history, the issue has been they've served God with everything that they had. Their entire life was completely dedicated to him to to the nth degree. There was very little room for selflessness, especially during the times of the dark ages where Christians were running for their lives and being persecuted and being killed for being a Christian. So it's something that we really need to think about. And you really need to look at your own life and say, Am I really lukewarm? And I would say we are. I would say I am. And there are things that I need to do differently. And I know that if I am, you guys are, because things are just getting worse and worse and worse as far as our culture goes. I mean, social media can be a great thing, but it can also make you extremely insecure and self-centered if you're not careful because it's all about you and the approval of other people upon your life. And so that you end up getting in this vicious cycle of, putting or painting a, a, a facade of your life that isn't even true at all. And it may be what you want, but it's never what you have. And the only end result in that is just misery. It's just misery. So Jesus says, I know thy works. 
And then he explains that we are, we are deceived. We're self-deceived about our own selves. And so what is the work? What is the work? According to the Bible, what is the work? I know thy works, that thou art neither cold or hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. What is he talking about according to what the scriptures say? What's the work? Spreading the gospel, evangelism, telling people the truth about the Bible. Absolutely. That's part of it. What else? Why do we do that? Why do we tell people the gospel? Why do we share the truth of salvation to people? So they can be saved and glorify God by being a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is the work. That's the work. The work is get the gospel out there. People hear it. They believe it, they receive it, they call upon the Lord for salvation, and then they learn to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's the work. How are we doing with that in your own life? I mean, just being flat out honest, how are we doing? Because are we among those in Titus that say they profess they know God, but in works they deny him? How are we doing? If Christ came back today and he measured your work because he says, I know thy works, how are we doing with getting the gospel out there, telling, the, telling people about what the Bible says, and making disciples of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to make a disciple of Jesus Christ? What does that mean? Yeah. It's, um, sorry, I lost it's fruit that produces more fruit, so it's somebody who's going to make more disciples. Okay, good. Let's simplify it a little bit more, because that's the process. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Okay, following him. And why do we follow him? That's the beginning steps. You follow someone so that way you can. Come on, let's go. So you can be like them. So you can do the things that they do. So you can. Like if you follow someone on a mentorship, any, I mean, those of you that have a job, what's the first thing you do when you walk in on the first day of a job? Someone trains you. And what do they train you in? The job. They train you in the job. That, okay, like, for, I don't know, where do you guys work? Give me an example. What's that? My dad. Okay, so what does your dad do? A lot of things. Pick one. Pick one thing that you've learned recently. Electric. Okay, electrical work. So, even more specific. Give me a specific job that you learned. Okay, okay, good. So, prior to you doing that, did you know anything? Okay, so what did you have to do in order to learn how to wire electrical to an AC unit? Watch him do it. Watch him do it, and then when he told you do the same thing. to do something, you did it. And when you were going to do it and you had, you're like, uh, I don't know, what did you do? Asked you asked questions, and then he gave you Answer. answers, and then you went and you did. Okay, so this is not rocket science. This is very, very easy. It's the same when it comes to following Jesus Christ. It's the same. When you become a disciple, the whole goal is that at the end of discipleship, you are walking and talking and making decisions the same as Jesus would in this world. Right? Okay. Somewhere along the line, discipleship has become something completely different. Completely different. Because those of you that have been discipled, can you say... I walk and talk and make decisions the exact same as Jesus would if you were walking in my shoes. 
Because that's what it's supposed to be. So somehow we have become content with something far less than what God intended. And the only result is self-glorification and you're robbing God of what he deserves. And you know it deep down, but you're justifying it to be something different. I mean, this is what we're talking about. This is Laodicea. This is hard to hear, but it's the truth. And it's the truth that needs to be spoken because there are so many people out there that need Jesus Christ. And not the Jesus Christ that people are getting in other churches. They need the Jesus Christ that's from the scriptures, the actual Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of people that are changing Jesus and who he is into something that he is not. And he is not being glorified because they're making disciples of themselves. And in making disciples of themselves, they're never making disciples of Jesus. They can say they are all they want. They say they love God, but in works they deny him. That's what we're talking about here. Look at 2 Timothy 3. There's two verses here that are very important. 2 Timothy 3, verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. So it looks like they have the appearance of being godly, of being good, of being Christian, but they have no power. So they're playing the part, but they have no substance. And this is what happens when, and there's a, and there's a lot of examples, and I'll show you the one that we're, because I told you we're going to be picking on Hillsong a little bit, even though I like their music, I love their stuff, we even sing some of their songs. But when it comes to pastoral ministry, the work of the Lord, they are way off. And their goal is not to make disciples of Jesus Christ. They're not. Their goal is to make people feel loved and accepted by God without any condemnation. That's their goal. And so here, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And what I mean by this for you practically is this. You can go to church. You can read your Bible. You can participate in ministry. You can do different things like that. But your life has never changed and you're never more godly because of what you do with the Lord. That's what I mean. There's no substance. There's no power. You still struggle with the same sin issues you struggled with a year ago. You still fall into the same temptations and the same struggles that you did five years ago. People are not affected by you at all for the Lord at all. Um, you know, here's a great, great question. I asked this with our guys at our guys study. If you are not here for four weeks, would you be missed? Would you be missed? If you are not here for four weeks straight, would we be affected negatively because of it? That's how much you can measure your involvement and how much really work you're doing for the Lord here. So think about some of those things. So they have a form of godliness, but, in the, but in, they deny the power thereof. All right. And it says from such turn away. And look at verse seven, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So they're constantly taking in information, but they're never able to actually do it. It's a whole different ballgame, whole different ballgame. So we got to be honest. Because Proverbs 20, verse 6, I don't have this one in your notes, but I'm just going to read it. It says, most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. We're very quick to boast about ourselves or to excuse our sin, but a faithful man, faithful, means you're truthful to yourself, to your actual work, your state, who can find. It's very hard to find someone who's very, very faithful. So we are self-deceived about the true state of our work. That's very, very important for us to understand, the true state of our work. 
And then Isaiah 29, 13. We'll close it off with this verse. So go ahead and read that one. Whoever had it. Wherefore the Lord said, Forasmuch as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of man. Okay. So their heart is far from God. And with their lips, their lips are close. Their lips talk about me a lot, but their heart is very far from me. Those are the Pharisees. And that was Israel's problem, and that's our problem today. All right, so we're self-deceived about the true state of our work. Secondly, we are self-deceived about the purpose of our work. The purpose of our work. All right, so Revelation 3. Go back there real quick. Revelation 3. Revelation 3. Revelation 3. Verse 15. All right, look at this. So he says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So he knows the state of our work, and the purpose of our work is to be cold or hot. And he said, I would that thou wert cold or hot. I want you to be, I want you to be cold or hot, but you're not. And that's where he says in verse 16, so then because thou art lukewarm, because we're lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Okay. So let me give you an example here for a second. All right. So here we've got, I thought about actually doing this, but I thought maybe the picture would be a little bit better. All right. So this is my cup. It's a terrible cup. We'll do it that way. All right. So this is a cup. And the cup is full of agua. That's water for people that don't speak Spanish. Okay. All right. So, and then over here, we've got our old-fashioned freezer, refrigerator. I know it might look like a tombstone, but it's not. We'll put the vents on the bottom to show you that it's not a tombstone. All right. See, so you got our door. Okay. So, this is our refrigerator, okay? All right. It does look like a tombstone. All right. So, we'll just do that. Refrigerator, freezer. Okay. That looks better. All right. So, we got our refrigerator and freezer, okay? And then over here on this side, we've got our... Uh, we've got... All right. Hold on. I'm working it. I'm working it. Give me a minute. Okay. We're going to do our fire. Okay. Not bad. All right. Okay. And then here, we've got a little kettle. This is terrible. There you go. All right. Well, thank you. Okay, I know. You're either burning a hat or you have a kettle. Either one, however you look at it. Okay, so if you were to take your water and you put it into a refrigerator, what is going to happen? It's going to get cold. If you put it in the freezer that we just added on because we updated our freezer, it's going to freeze. It's going to be cold. Okay? All right. If you were to take that water and pour it into your kettle and put it over a fire or some sort of something that will heat it up, what's going to happen? It's going to boil. It's going to get warm until it becomes hotter, and then it will boil. Can't let's be literal. I'm sorry. I apologize. Okay. So if you were to take that and pour it into a cup, you would have hot water. If you were to take cold water and pour it into a cup, you would have cold water. Okay. If you were to leave that hot or cold water sit out for six hours or so, seven hours, what would happen to the water? It would become room temperature also called tepid, also called lukewarm. Okay, so that's what we're talking about here. Lukewarm is that they're not hot, they're not cold, they're lukewarm. 
God does not want lukewarm water. He wants hot or cold. Both have a purpose. Lukewarm, and the reason why he doesn't want lukewarm, and the reason why he used this as an example, as an example is that the, the lukewarm water, it, it takes in the characteristic of the temperature around its environment. So this is how you are like water. Wherever you sit, you start to assimilate the characteristics of your environment. This is what happens. This is why when you hang out with people that do not follow God, you begin to become ungodly. And when you begin to hang out with people that are godly, you start to become godly. And when you start to miss church chunks of a time, you start to... Because, you, yeah, exactly, you're ungodly because you begin to do things according to your environment. This is human nature. This is just basic, basic human nature, okay? So he does not want you to be someone who is lukewarm. And if you sit out long enough, you will begin to be like the environment around you. So how do we not be lukewarm? Yes. You either put yourself on the fire. Have you ever touched fire before? Yes, it's hot. It's painful. And have you ever been in an absolute freezing environment before? It can be absolutely painful. And it will change some things about you, right? So spiritually speaking, when you choose to be in the fire, it's not that comfortable. But you are full of purpose. When you choose to be in the cold, it's really not that comfortable. But you do have a purpose. And think about it from this perspective. If this is somebody else, and you have the ability to take ice cube from here, put it in. What's it going to do to this? It's going to make it cold. You begin to infect someone else's life and their environment. If you are here and your life is then poured into somebody else, what is it going to do to this? It's going to make it warmer again. It's going to change their life. Okay. Now, think about this from this perspective. Each and every Sunday, if you are not willing to be in the fire or in the cold... And then let's say I'm, because I'm supposed to be walking with God. That's part of my responsibility. So as I walk with God, I'm putting my life, my convictions, my heart, everything over the fire. Or I am putting it in the freezer. And then I pour into you on Sunday, on Wednesday, and other times that we may meet. It's going to change your life, right? Even tonight, you're starting to think about things that are different. You're starting to think about your own life. It could change who you are. But if you don't do anything about it, and you don't take yourself here, and you don't take yourself here, what's going to happen? You're going to go right back to who you were before. This is Laodicea. This is what we do. Until you get off your spiritual duff and put yourself in the fire or put yourself in the freezer, you are going to be ineffective. And you're not going to do anything for the Lord. And your life is not going to amount to anything. Now, does lukewarm have purpose? Lukewarm water? Sure. You can still drink it and hydrate somebody. But there's so much more you can do with hot water. I love coffee. You cannot make coffee with lukewarm water. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Terrible. You know, you can make iced coffee with cold, but you first got to put it into the fire first. I mean, there's just, we, we have to take these things and apply them spiritually. There's so many people that are trying to convince themselves they can be lukewarm Christians and be okay. They're afraid to take the stand. They're afraid to be obedient. They're afraid to step out of their comfort zone. They're afraid, and who knows why? There's all sorts of reasons, but I'm telling you, one reason why they're afraid is because they're afraid of what God is going to change in them. Now, let me ask you something. If God wants to change something, don't you think it's actually going to be for your benefit? 
Because doesn't God love you? Doesn't he care about you? So when you say, no, God, I'm going to stay where I am, you're telling God, I know you love me, and I know you want to take this away from me, or whatever it is, or change this in my life, but I don't trust you, so I trust myself more than I trust you, and I think I'm going to be a better Christian doing it my way than actually obeying you. That's what we're saying to God, which is not right, and good luck with that, because it's never going to work. So I want to give you a couple examples. I want to show you some of these things, because... And, and I always want to be gracious, and I don't want to be critical. I really, really don't. But like I said, when you put yourself out in the limelight and you say certain things, then it just shows who you are. So we're going to pick on Hillsong a little bit, but not in a bad way. I just want you to see what, what really has happened, and I want to just evaluate this. I want to look at this. So I've got some links here that I want to take a look at. All right, so let's see how this works. I've not done it this way before, so let's see. Of course it would do it that way. Okay, hang on. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pull it up this way. We're going to go to YouTube. All right. Okay. Come on. All right, I think I need to stop this. Disconnect. And we'll do this. There we go. Let's end this real quick. So, um, so I want to talk about how we're deceived about the state of our work, the purpose of our work, that we need to be cold or hot. And that's why I wanted to bring up this illustration. And then we already spent a little bit of time talking about this at the end. So point number three is how to keep our work effective. And this is going to kind of answer our questions of like, what do we need to do in order to overcome this characteristic? But how to keep our work effective. There's two passages that I want to share with you, and then we'll close. So someone go to Jeremiah 23, 29. Sam, you got that one. Everyone else go to Psalm 147, and then we'll call it quits. Psalm 147. All right, Psalm 147. Okay, so in in the Bible, according to Ephesians chapter 5, the water of the word. So the Bible is called water. So that's very important for us to understand. But there's two passages that I just wanted to show show to you guys of talking about how to keep our work effective. Well, the only way that you can keep your work effective with the right purpose, with a good state, is is to do what the word of God actually says, that your heart is very close to the word of God. Listen to Jeremiah 23, 29. This one's so good. Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? I love that. Okay, is not my word like a fire and like a hammer? All right, the word of God is like a fire. And what does fire do? It burns, it consumes, it purifies, it burns away things that are not necessary and and keeps intact what is necessary. So God's word in your life is like that, and it will be very uncomfortable. How comfortable is it to take a hammer and hit your finger? Not very comfortable. It's very, very difficult. But that's what hammers are for, not to hit your fingers, but to break things and to hit things and to knock things into place. That's what it's supposed to be for. And so the word of God is that in our life. So the word of God is likened unto a fire, and it's also likened unto uh, water, the cold, cold water. And that's why God even said in Psalm um, 42 that as the deer panteth after the water brook, so my soul longeth after thee. And in Psalm 147, look at this. 
It says in verse 15, <clears throat> verse 15, it says, He sendeth forth his commandment upon the earth. His word runneth very swiftly. He giveth snow like wool. He scattereth the hoarfrost like ashes. He casteth forth his ice like morsels. Who can stand before his cold? Talking about God. He sendeth out his word and melteth them. He causeth his wind to blow and the waters to flow. I love that. So in this one, he shows that God's word sends that which is cold, and he also has the ability to melt it because of its heat. And so God's word has the ability to do that in your life. Now, what's really cool about this kind of stuff is that snow and ice are very, very valuable when it's really, really warm. Really, really warm. Heat is very, very valuable when it's really, really cold. And I'd say the day and age that we live in, the love of many is waxing very, very cold. And so we need more heat then we need more cold. And that's just kind of how things are right now. But it can vary. But I'm telling you that if you're willing to stay close to the Word of God, to believe and obey the Word of God, that will keep you cold or hot. And then how do you know the difference between being cold or hot? And I think it's really God's heart that teaches you discernment to know when to be cold and when to be hot. Because there's some times where you need to be hot, boom! There's other times where you just need to be cool and refreshing. But if you're not in the Word of God, you'll have no idea how to be what and when. Because all you are is lukewarm. And you're not going to be purposeful to anybody. And so that's the whole idea. So this is very, very condemning of us as the Bible should be, which is very contrary to the philosophy of Hillsong. Uh, but we need it in our life uh, because people need it. I think people are getting sick of lukewarm Christians. I know I am. <laughs> it makes me angry. Growing up in church, it made me angry when Christians were one way on Sunday, another way during the week, said they love God and behave like the world. It's not right. And we ought not to be that way. All right, so we are way over and out of time, but uh, we're going to pray and we're going to get out of here. All right, Father, thank you so much for your word and how it teaches us what we need to know. I pray, God, we'd be convicted and we'd obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.